0: And so we see ourselves, Opportunity America is a small, catalytic organization. We see ourselves as finding the better mousetraps in that exciting innovation, lifting up the better mousetraps, connecting the people who make better mousetraps to each other, and and, and also making room for policy.
1: The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development
2: at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You,
1: the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Hi, this is Christina Barcy, the co-host and producer of this podcast, and we are kicking off our lead up to next week's Future of Work conference on Thursday, November 12th from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time with a compelling, in-depth, and rich conversation with Tamar Jacoby, the founder and president of Washington, D.C.'s nonprofit, Opportunity America. It is a think tank and research shop that focuses on workforce education. Tamara Jacoby expresses how she wanted to be a part of the train wreck rather than write about it, as her background was in journalism before she created this nonprofit, to lean in further in finding solutions for the problems she cares so much about. And when it comes to the future of our workforce, she tells us that community colleges are definitely part of that solution. So after you listen to this amazing conversation with Tamar, make sure you sign up with the link in the show notes to join us for our free event. It's free, the Future of Work Conference, to watch Tamar Jacoby present to you live along with many other workforce leaders. Enjoy this episode welcome back listeners. We are here
2: with President of Opportunity America, Tamar Jacoby. Tamar, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity, Sal. You bet. So Tamar, for those listeners out there that don't know who you are and who Opportunity America is, can you give us a little bit of uh, your role there as President and who it, you know? what is the responsibility and the scope of work for Opportunity America?
0: Yeah. So I'm the founder and president. So it's, you know, I do, I do a little bit of everything. It's like Mm -hmm. running a small business. We're a policy and research shop in Washington, D.C. that focuses on workforce education. And we see workforce ed as, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of the Silicon, we're in Silicon Valley in the 80s and the early 80s, the late 70s or early 80s. There's been so much, even before COVID, there was so much innovation going on in the world of community college workforce education, high school CTE, mid-career adult, you know, retraining. It's such an exciting time for all that work. But we are still, and this goes back to my Silicon Valley metaphor, We are still in the late 70s or early 80s. There's no iPhone yet. We're still experimenting. You know, there's a garage on every corner and there's a lot of ferment and a lot of experimentation, but we're not done yet. We're still, there's still a lot of experimentation to go. And so we see ourselves, Opportunity America is a small catalytic organization. We see ourselves as finding the better mousetraps in that exciting innovation, lifting up the better mousetraps, connecting the people who make better mousetraps to each other, and 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 also making room for policy.
2: Uh huh. I love how you explain that. I love how you described all of okay. that using those metaphors. It makes it so relatable.
0: I, over- <laughs> I overdue when you get to no, my, but that's great. Of,
2: by that's the great. end of the
0: podcast, people will be so tired of my metaphors. I think the metaphor, <laughs> um, but it means that it's it's a it's a very exciting time and a very exciting thing to be doing. And you know, COVID. Well, I'm sure you're going to ask this. COVID has made you know upskilling and reskilling people for jobs all the more necessary in a mm. you know awful way mm-hmm. but it means that the kind of work that we've been doing for i don't know how many years it is now 7 8 years is you know more relevant than ever and so you know we feel that finding that workforce preparation that works you know the upskilling that works mm-hmm. and celebrating it and helping people scale it is even more important
2: that's right that's right so i'd like to touch on your mouse trap uh building skills. <laughs> I have to believe I have to believe you know, that they I don't
0: build any, I just find the people who built them.
2: <laughs> you found Which... the experts who could do it, right? right? Well, and that's you know what? That's the most important role as a president of an well, organization so, is finding no, the I team that's the hard
0: right? work. The hard work happens on the ground, right? Yeah. We kind of talk about it and lift it up. Mm-hmm. So the hard work is being done at, at, at colleges like yours. And you know, and employers who are offering training and high schools that are coming up with new, the hard work, the innovation is ground up. But in a big country like America, that innovation doesn't always rise to the top or sort of get connected to other innovation unless somebody helps connect it. that's and, right. And so that's we, I just talk about the stuff. I don't do the hard work. You guys do the hard work.
2: Oh, well, thank you. But I have to still imagine that there were some challenges. Right. And even just talking about it. You know, what were some of those challenges that you had to overcome as a president in building Opportunity America?
0: Well, starting a nonprofit is not for the faint of heart. You have to raise the money and you have to make a go of it and you have to build a name for yourself. You know, 10 years ago, people knew me as someone who worked on a whole different topic. And maybe some of your listeners even still have heard of me talk about immigration. And so I had to make a new name for myself in the workforce field. And then, you know, just again, a nonprofit is you have to find funding and you have to, you know, it's like it's like small growing a small business. But I think the challenge around workforce ed, you know, apart from kind of my personal path in life, the challenge is, you know, that a lot of us know that the economy is changing and that preparing more people for careers is more important than ever. But not everybody gets that. And there are a lot of people who say, you know, oh, like everyone should go to college, four year college. And, you know, there's still a stigma associated with or a kind of a, you know, redhead stepchild uh, mm-hmm. sort of attitude in some circles toward anything but a bachelor's degree and, and, and an academic path. And sure. so I think, you know, we all fight to a degree to kind of help people understand that what we do is really important and necessary and, you know, mm-hmm. the right answer for a lot of people.
2: Mm-hmm. And you're right. There is a lot of stigma around that. And I think that opportunity in America helps in unveiling the the truth around the system and the truth around what is possible with the existing systems that we have. And so I like to get into the weeds a little bit because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I love solving big problems. I enjoy building. And so a lot of my career journey has been on building new programming and divisions, both in academia and within the for-profit area, right, with small business community. But so what led you, like, I'm just curious, what led you to to build the mastermind think tank?
0: Your listeners can't see me. I've been around for a long time. I have a lot of gray hair. I have a long checkered past. So I was Uh a journalist Uh and um, I worked for the New York Times. I worked for Newsweek. It was many, many, many decades ago. And then I, um. I made the switch from journalism to trying to make things happen in the world because I went to Arizona in the very first years of the century to write a story about the first anti-immigrant ballot initiative in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And business and labor and Republicans and Democrats were all fighting. It was actually Russell Pierce's first effort. They were all fighting him, but they weren't talking to each other. They weren't helping each other. There was no coalition. Mm. And I said, I'm canceling my interviews, we're going to build a coalition, we're going to raise money, we're going to fight back. Yeah, we did that. And we didn't win. Russell Pierce still won, as the world all knows. But it sort of gave me the idea, well, I loved being a journalist, I'd spent many decades as a journalist, but that you could actually maybe have as much of an impact and maybe more and maybe it's more fun to be on the side that's actually making things happen instead of just sitting at your desk. Sort of pondering it and writing about it, mm-hmm. and and so I um, got involved. You know, I, I I joked at the time I'd rather be part of the train wreck than writing about it. Um, but, um, <laughs> True, uh-huh. but um. So then I went to Washington and I worked on immigration for ten years more, mm-hmm. and um, we had a I had a small nonprofit that advanced immigration reform, and same was kind of tried to be catalytic and kind of cutting edge vanguard. And then about ten years ago, I started to say. The debate about, like what I do around immigration is think about policy compromises and policy that can work. And we're not having a conversation about policy compromises about immigration in America anymore. Mm -hmm. We're having a conversation where the two sides are kind of screaming at each other slogans so that the role for me and my organization, there wasn't much of a role left. So I sort of said, well, you know, what do I want to do next? And Mm -hmm. I had always seen immigration as a workforce issue and an opportunity issue so mm-hmm. it just sort of made sense to kind of so this is my this is my nonprofit 2.0
2: i love it i love it we're gonna have to put a pin in this and do another episode just solely on the the entrepreneurial efforts and and the trials and tribulations that come along with it
0: yeah um, i didn't i didn't grow up thinking of myself as an entrepreneur i was somebody who yeah. like liked safe jobs and i had mm-hmm. you know new york times i had jobs at institutions mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the way, I don't know, I just sort of real, you know, I didn't even realize it. I just found mm-hmm. myself doing it. Something in you gets restless or it has, wants the re- I don't know. You know, I don't yeah. really understand
2: it. It sounds like you just got really curious and wanted to solve a problem without even, you know, you're just it, like, you know, and, I'm done. And there
0: wasn't. A, there weren't easy places. It wasn't like I could go to some existing, you know, think tank and say, I want to be your immigrant. Well, I was a fellow of a think tank at the time. Before I started my shop. And after a while, they kind of said, you know, you're too out there for us. You know, so it was sort of like, in a way, I had to start my own if I wanted to keep on doing what I was doing. And I Got think that, that drove Got me it. anyway.
2: That well, now you was- built this beautiful organization called Opportunity America, which sits as a think tank, right, around policy and, and promoting, you know, economic mobility. And let's kind of get do a little bit of a dive into that and really talk about, the approach that Opportunity America has taken with those particular issues around work and skills and careers and ownership and entrepreneurship, all that great stuff. You know, what has Opportunity's approach been to those issues with the changes regarding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Well,
0: let's go back before COVID for a second, then we'll catch up with COVID. I mean, the way I think about what I do, it kind of starts with the whole economy and the way the economy is changing. And, you know, what we, quote, unquote, call the future of work, but which has really been happening for three or four decades, right? The future of work started in manufacturing, you know, in the 70s. And the future Mm -hmm. of work came to retail, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And the future of work has been transforming the American economy for many years. And the point about the future of work, or one of the big points for me, is that it means that everybody needs a higher order of skills and more education. So if you used to be able to get away with being a PhD, now you need to be a postdoc. If you used to be able to get away with being a bachelor, now you need a masters. If you used to be able, and this is a really important one, if you used to be able to be, get away with a high school diploma, now you need some kind of post secondary education and training. Cuz yeah. the jobs that you, where you didn't have to fit, th- you didn't need any skills. Manufacturing used to be a job where you really didn't need any skills. You didn't need technical skills. Or communication skill. Mm-hmm. And now you need technical skill, communication skill, problem solving. It used to be that problem solving was pretty much for the top guys, you know, mm-hmm. except for in a small business. It was like most people that work there didn't have to do a whole lot of problem solving. Mm-hmm. Now everybody has to do problem solving. Sure. And that means we need more Education and training at all the levels. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean everyone has to get to the same level. Again, I don't think everybody needs a PhD or postdoc. I don't think everybody needs a bachelor's, but people need more than they needed in the past. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like we're just sort of saying you or I or anybody in this field. We're not just saying, oh, hey, folks, you forgot about vocational education. You know, we live in the same world and you forgot about vocational education. Mm-hmm. What we're saying to people is the world has changed. And because of the way the world is changing, people need more. And so we as a country need to step up and figure out how to provide that more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some people who are more worried about getting more people to bachelor's degrees, and that's fine. We need more people with bachelor's degrees, too. But the way I think about it is that the people the people I sort of you know, I don't know why, but sort of care most about wanting to create better paths for are the people who probably aren't going to get bachelor's degrees, but need something. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we see ourselves as, again, framing that problem for people, finding the the examples, the models that are doing it well, and trying to advance the way people think about the model. You know, there's a a term called the Overton window. Do you Mm -hmm. know about the Overton window? Mm -hmm. So the idea is, like, what bunch of ideas does the public basically buy as acceptable, safe, a good idea? Mm -hmm. And so if you think about like how people used to think about gay marriage, for example, like the idea of gay marriage was pretty much outside the Overton window like 10 years ago, like thought it was way out there. Now the Overton window has shifted so that people think like gay marriage, you know, pretty much everybody in America accepts gay marriage. And what I really, what, at some level, what I see my organization doing, we do research, we do convenings, we do policy advocacy, we do all those things. Mm-hmm. But ultimately what I think of us as doing is shifting that Overton window so mm-hmm. that more people understand the need for post-secondary education and training, that it gets more respect, that we do it better. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's about changing the way people think about the world ultimately.
2: Right, right. But thinking about that then in framing Opportunity America in that way, would you be able to give me an example of how Opportunity America has been able to kind of shift the change? Has, have, well, you know, has you go, shift the have
0: little steps, little steps, little yeah. steps, little right? Yeah, sequential,
2: um, not simultaneous, right? And just little increments, right? Yeah. Increments. But
0: mm-hmm. I mean, for example, and, and we're not doing it alone. Again, we're kind of um, crystallizing, I think, what a lot of other people are thinking. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think...
2: That's a good think, way of putting it
0: you know, maybe 10 years ago, I don't know. And, you know, you work at a community college, you're close to a community college, you know what it's like, even now, but especially 10 years ago, if you sort of said to people, you know, a guy on the street, the guy sitting next to you in the plane, whatever, community college, you know, he'd probably say, you know, he might not think that highly of it. He might think it's Mm -hmm. mostly like a poor man's four-year school. He might think it's, you know, we know all the things that people think, right? And so, what we've tried to be part of is the movement that is sort of saying, "No way, community colleges could be really important. Community mm-hmm. colleges, some of the most exciting innovation in higher ed is going on at community colleges, mm-hmm. and community colleges, to really fulfill their full potential, need to kind of rethink themselves a little bit and think more about that their role is getting people good jobs, and it could be getting people good jobs immediately, or it could even be getting people good jobs after a bachelor's, but they need to think much more less in terms of you know, academia, and more in terms of their role is to get people good jobs in their region. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not the only person saying that. There are a lot of people saying that. But I, you know, pull people together who can say it and have some impact. We just had a big report that got a lot of attention that said Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And it's not a new idea to you. And it's probably not a new idea to many of our listeners. But it's a new idea to some people. And the Mm -hmm. point is, you're trying to make the world safer for that idea, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, and community colleges fundamentally, to your point, were designed just to do that. We're designed to get people into jobs.
0: Right. And then, well, let's, you know, the you history know? It, The is a winding road, right? It sure is. Yeah. In the beginning, it was, you know, some people thought oh, get people in jobs, and other people thought, depends what state, too. Different states sure. have different ideas. Northeast, they much more thought junior college. South, they much more thought workforce, but Mm -hmm. it's been, it goes up and down. If you trace the history, it goes up and down over the, you know, for the last hundred years, it goes up and down. But my argument is that especially now when we need, when all these people who, again, high school used to be enough, high school's not enough anymore. You cannot get a good job in the future of work economy Mm -hmm. and after COVID with only high school. And so there needs to be some institution that's going to help those people I don't. And I don't mean to sound like that. It's not like those people, but it helps that those Americans. Mm-hmm. And community colleges are the best place to do it. Like, mm-hmm. like because they're they have the scale, right? Everybody talks about boot camps. How many people are in boot camps? Just mm-hmm. like wild guess. Wild. I have guess? no idea.
2: I have no idea. Seventeen
0: thousand. How many people are in community colleges? Twelve million. Million. Yeah. Like we can't expect the boot camps to do the training for us. No. You can't even expect apprenticeship. There's only half a million people in apprenticeship. If we're going to do this kind of education and training on a scale that we need, we need community colleges. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think they're uneven. Some community colleges Mm -hmm. are doing a great job. Some community colleges are still have their heads in the clouds doing, I think, the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Some community colleges talk the talk and still Mm -hmm. don't, you know, do it that well. I mean, there's a big Mm -hmm. range, right? Mm -hmm. But. I feel like the country needs community colleges to step up and fulfill that potential mm-hmm. as the kind of workforce focused instit- higher ed institution. And we all have to, you know, kick them a little bit so that they do it or so that the sector as a whole does it.
2: Right. And you mentioned the word movement, you know, this is, you're not, the, you know, Opportunity America is not the only one as part of this movement in bringing awareness and, and, and amplifying the value of community colleges in solving this problem that we're in, right? Um, right. Who's, so dare I ask, or can I ask, you know, who are some of your partners in, as part of this movement? I mean, who, who are your yeah. go-to well, folks I mean, that you talk to?
0: Yeah, in? I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag, right? So I think of them, as, I think of there being two movements, right? There's the movement that says community colleges need to do a better job of transfer, and that movement is not wrong. Community college does need to do a better job right. of transfer. <laughs> but I'm working on the other side, which is that community colleges needs to do a better job of workforce. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not a seesaw. You know, a lot of people mistake it and they think it's a zero sum game that if you're going to fix transfer, no, you're not going to fix workforce. Or if you're going to mm-hmm. elevate transfer, you're not going to elevate workforce. But here's how to think about it. I think about it in terms of the numbers. So 80%, percent eight zero. Of young people who show up at community college say they want a bachelor's degree eventually. Mm -hmm. So how many make it? Fifteen percent. Wow. One five. So we have eighty And 15, that is not a good batting average. Mm -hmm. We could could double that 15, right? Mm -hmm. We'd still, we'd be at 30 getting a bachelor's. That would be a lot better. We'd still be leaving out half the people, 50% of the people. So my argument is we sort of need both these reform movements. I think of them as kind of two parallel reform movements. And, you know, a lot of the community college associations are sort of in both camps. So it's not, it's not clear how much are they, you know, if you're in both, can you push both? I don't know. It's a little complicated, but but there are mm-hmm. definitely people in the in the community college associations who understand the workforce argument. Mm-hmm. There's you know there's a lot of community college associations out there. There's who knows how many I don't, can't even count. Probably mm-hmm. I don't want to get name names and say the ones I like, and <laughs> <laughs> I like so much. But but you know, uh, but, uh, but but there's people like that. There's the, there's people in the community college world. There's a lot of people. I think there's a lot of partners on the ground at community colleges. My experience is I go visit community colleges and I, well, I don't visit any place anymore, but I used to go visit community colleges. And I talk a lot to state community college, you know, agency mm-hmm. administrators. And I think, there's a, I think there's a real realization on the ground that this work is important and that this work is exciting and this innovation, but they're not always the people who get heard. You know, I often feel like I'm talking to the workforce dean or the guy who's the, in charge of workforce at the state sure. level. And they Mm -hmm. know they're doing this important work and they know it's really exciting, but they feel a little bit like a redhead stepchild in their own institution. So I think you have people like that. You have people like Mm -hmm. that are the ally. I mean, again, they're the main people Mm -hmm. in the movement. And then you have some like this paper that we just did. You know, we had some kind of bold faced name, higher ed reform thinkers. Mm -hmm. Matt Siegelman, who founded Burning Glass and Mm -hmm. Ryan Craig from University Ventures. They feel the same way about community colleges. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Joe Fuller at the Harvard Business School. There's a bunch of people, you know, there's a lot of people who I'm, I'm far from the only person who's making this argument. Sure. In America. There are a lot of people, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, you have to. We don't have a convention every year, so to speak, that movement. You have to sort of find them and pull them together.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here we are now. Here we are in the midst of this beautiful pandemic that we're a part of the changes to the working class, you know, us as educators and we're preparing our students who the majority in most community colleges, and I can speak for for ours as well, are are part-time students. Part-time students that are precisely here just to do that, to get into a job. You know, they're managing their families, they're managing, you know, a bunch of different things all at the same time. But at the end of the day, regardless of, to your point, regardless of whether they're a transfer student or not, or trying to achieve, you know, other levels of higher education, eventually yeah. we're preparing them for the workforce. Yeah. And so the, the pandemic has created some real permanent changes to the working class specifically as what has Opportunity America. been? Have, have you all been thinking about that as a part of the research that you were doing? Tell me a little bit about those yeah. issues and how Opportunity America is addressing them. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, when I see the pandemic, I mean, who knows exactly what the world's going to look like after That's the right. pandemic? right? We don't, yeah. I mean, we know it's going to look different. I, the, the, the effect I see it having mostly is that it's accelerated this future of work, right? Yes. So that, you know, things, I mean, I, I was thinking about this all during the, the, you know, the worst early months. And then I heard somebody at McKinsey say it, so I know it must be true. I'm kidding. But um, something, you know, things that we thought would take a decade in the future of work happened in a week in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hospitals were suddenly making their own equipment with 3D printers and, you know, warehouses were suddenly having robots, distribution centers that they didn't have in the past. And, you know, even the meat packing industry started putting in robots. And I mean, I felt like for a while in the middle of the worst days, every time I opened the paper, there was a story about another industry that was now thinking about more automation. Mm-hmm. And that was going to happen eventually. And it's it just got sped up. Mm-hmm. And again, what that and I think that's the biggest change. I mean, you may have some other changes in mind that would be interesting to hear about. But so for me, again, it's about thinking about how to help people get the skills they need in that kind of economy where there's fewer jobs, where more jobs need problem solving, basically. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, the truth about about what are robots. There's some things that robots, you know, s- still can't do. Right. That's right certain kinds of human skills Mm -hmm. and we need to make sure people have those human skills and also know how to be flexible. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. not like the welding is going to change from this year to next year because of the, you know, robots are going to come or, you know, the technical jobs are going to change. Coding is going to change. Just learning how to do that kind Mm -hmm. of coding is not going to help you. You have to learn how to learn and you have to learn how to be more flexible and you have to learn how to problem solve. And that was coming our way anyway before COVID. It was just we had we were gonna have a little more time. What I just mostly think COVID has done is kind of sped it up. Absolutely. Now the people who are caught right now in COVID, the problem for a lot of them is, you know, that they, they're struggling to they've lost their job or they're, you know, having to scramble to put food on the table. And education is suddenly even though education is what they need more than ever, or upskilling, reskilling is what they need more than ever, yes. mm-hmm. they don't have the time or the money or the bandwidth to sure. go back and get education. You know, we've mm-hmm. all seen this um, enrollments falling all over the country at community colleges. What I wonder is, sure, enrollments are falling at a two-year associates program. I mean, who, can, who has time for a two-year associates program right now? Like, you right. have to be working. But I wonder if community colleges, again, did a better job of, saying, OK, like the guy, the, the HVAC people in our region didn't used to need HEPA filters now or know how to do HEPA filters. Now they do. Let's have a six week course in HEPA technology or a two week yeah. course in HEPA technology or whatever it is. I don't know how long it would take. The, that Those enrollments might go up. So, mm-hmm. so like I don't know if the enrollments are down because the colleges are still focusing so much on kind of longer academic mm-hmm. or if they really could focus more on I mean I don't think we know yet We'd short-term
2: been, certificates
0: short-term, short and you know really short-term and really for the jobs that are going begging in their area so mm-hmm. you know in in New York maybe the HEPA filters or New York City I mean my favorite example of this is the guy the automotive people who say well you know if you're teaching automotive in Minnesota like the air conditioning unit isn't that long <laughs> so, whereas if you're teaching automotive and you yeah. know Florida, it's all you do is air conditioning. Community colleges, I mean, again, if I was running a community college, what I would be focusing on is I would be trying to find out how exactly the economy in my area was changing as a result of COVID and help people we upskill, reskill for really specific jobs that were going to be open, you know, next week mm-hmm. in my area. Mm-hmm. Not just like we're going to teach everyone Java for Java's sake, but more like here in Pasadena, what's going to happen is the aerospace industry or whatever is there is going to get, you know, do... I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to close. Maybe it's a bad example. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the X ex- ex- the ex- industry right. in Pasadena sure. is going sure. to move in this direction. We really to really train people for that. And then I think you might see... I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, I'm talking, I'm getting to the solution, I guess, rather than, or what I hope is a solution rather than exactly the problem. But that's the change I see. It's not that there will never be jobs. There there will be jobs, They'll mm-hmm. but they'll be different. They'll just and, be
2: different. Right.
0: And right now it's hard to make the switch because you're struggling to put food on your table. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's where I think people are sort of caught, you know, I don't have time to go to a class. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. You know, working two jobs just to make ends, ends meet, you know, to make up my old salary. I used to work downtown as a bartender and I lost my job as a bartender because the bar is closed. Now I have to, I don't know what, you know, do two jobs just to make that money. And I don't have time to go to college and learn mm. something new. So I think, I think, you know, what we, what we want to see is can community college and other training providers, frankly, community mm. college is not the only training provider. But can employers and community and and training providers kind of rethink so that they can help people as the economy picks up again, so that they can help people get the right upskilling and reskilling they need to get the jobs that are going to come back that are going to be different?
2: I think that poses to the, the competitive landscape, too, of community colleges. We sometimes don't talk about that. And legislation is different from state to state to state, as you know, right? And so for us, I think as a system of community colleges... A partnership with an organization such as yours is incredibly important because it becomes our validator, our voice, our champion, our, you know, paving the way really for some legislative changes in order for us to be quicker, more responsive, more agile, you know, you know, because if it's going to take you know, a year to get curriculum approved, well, who, you know, guys, we're already,
0: who do it? Who oh, come
2: on, we've, we've passed the mark and it's, it's done. We're over with it, you know, but you're right. I think that a massive solution to the a solution to this really is developing more short-term just-in-time trainings for occupations that are in the rise and really understanding all community colleges, really understanding like their top two or their top three industry sectors in their area that have growth that we're, we're seeing significant growth in, and it's not just healthcare. I mean, it's, it's digital media and design. It's It's
0: different kinds of things. Oh, there's so
2: many different things. There's so many different things, but and you do want
0: people to be eventually able to come back if they want and get sure. that academic degree, right? So we don't, That's I mean, right. I think we want a lot more on the non-credit short, just-in-time side, but mm-hmm. you don't want to put people on an island over there on the non-credit just-in-time side that they can never come back from. That's, I right. think, the hardest part. Colleges, colleges aren't that bad at creating non-credit courses. A lot of places are pretty good at creating non-credit courses and working, that side works with the employers. The hard mm-hmm. part is usually the bridging back.
2: That's right. Um, that matriculation yeah. process yeah. from non-credit to credit—that's that's a huge why on the mean, whatever you know, whatever yeah. term, whatever metaphor we want to use on that one. You're gonna have to help me on a metaphor with that, but yeah, you know, that's that's a huge problem for community Some colleges. Some
0: colleges are figuring it out. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's trying. People are moving, but we're not there yet. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, what you're point about states is really interesting too, because. I mean, so I just like to. My favorite example about states comes from, you know, the CARES Act had something in it called gear money, G-E-E-R. And if you look at how the different states spent their gear money, in some states, nobody's going to pay for short non-credit programs for the next eighteen mm-hmm. months. Like that's where they put their gear money. Like we're going to give $34 million to the college system and that's going to pay for short, just in time courses and no <laughs> students are going to have to pay for it. <laughs> and other states didn't even use their gear money for higher ed. They used it for K through 12. So different. And, you know, some states have permanent ways of funding non-credit workforce programs. Other states, you know, would never go in that direction if you, you know, put it blew up the capital, whatever. Uh-huh. Bad metaphor, But... <laughs> um, you know, that funding thing is a real problem. And obviously you can't use your Pell Grant for a short, non-credit, just in time program. So, I mean, that's, the, that's one of the biggest obstacles, right, is mm-hmm. that the community colleges that are prepared to offer that kind of program, there are pe- certainly people out there who want that kind of program. Sure. Their community colleges working to figure out the, the articulation problem. We're not solved it yet, but we're working on it. We haven't mm-hmm. solved it. But the funding is so much of a problem in so many places. Yes. And that to me, I mean, that's so the, I sort of think of that as my day job is we, you know, we work, argue for Workforce Pell, but we have a lot to go. We're not there yet. And, mm-hmm. I, and I try to tell states about what other states are doing with state models. You know, Virginia has a really interesting state model where they fund non-credit workforce programs. North I was Carol- going to
2: ask you about that. You know, what models have you seen that really thought, gosh, you know, that's well, unique and it's working?
0: Especially on short. So, I mean, there are a lot of different interesting models from state to state, right? That's almost what I do for a living is I collect mm-hmm. good state models. But around funding for non-credit specifically, Virginia has a great program. North Carolina has a great program. Iowa has a program, small program, I think. I think Missouri has a new program. I mean, there, states are thinking about it. North Carolina's is an is old and it's very simple. But, you know, they say this legislature thinks every year, like, what industries... Do we have in the state that we're really trying to promote that we think are good industries for the state? Mm-hmm. And once they figure that out, you know, aerospace is good and cosmetology oh. is not so good. Your FTE allocation it depends on where you are on that scale. You're as a, as as a, as a department. So the aerospace department, whether you're in credit or non-credit, is getting a much bigger FTE per student than the cosmetology department, which is getting a small FTE mm-hmm. and so it's the it's the it's the state instead of saying every student sitting in a class is equally valuable, they're saying the industries that we really need here are more valuable than others to us. We we still pay something for cosmetology, just not as much. And if you're in the top whatever tier you're in, non-credit and credit get funded equally. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I mean it's just it's one model, you know, it's not for everyone. Yeah. But yeah. they're they're a lot there you know, in Virginia it's a different kind of model. It's like a skin in the game, everybody has it's community, the college pays some, the student pays some, the state pays some, you know, pay for performance. There are a lot of different models out there. But the idea is states trying to say, you know, trying to see what you're saying, which is that we need those just-in-time, short-term job-focused programs. And But we can't, especially in the pandemic, expect people to put their hands in their own pocket and pay for them.
2: That's right. That's right. And I wonder, too, you know, there's got to be a way where where... It would be wonderful. I mean, my, my wish would be that states who have these models, that we have a coalition, a cohort or something, and perhaps Opportunity America is a, is the convener, right? You're I a convener. Thought of this. I you thought know, is like, get us all in a room. A- the trouble and is that share. there's so
0: many organizations of community colleges. I've thought of this. I've thought of doing this, mm-hmm. but you know, there's already like such a, you could fill a whole room with the community college organizations to say, well, I'm going to be another community college organization. You know, they already have the AACC and the ACCT and the league for innovation at the community college. You know, it's sort of a crowded field already, but I agree. People in States don't know what people in other States are doing and they don't know the models and You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of need for more cross-pollination.
2: I agree. I mean, I'm just thinking about just even here at PCC, when we look at our big picture vision on what, you know, workforce development could look like, should look like in the next, you know, three to five years, at most five years, I want to look out to and project to. And, you know, it would be really kind of neat and helpful. And I, and I struggle with this. I got to be honest with you. I struggle with this in finding those models and having the bandwidth and the time to investigate right. those models. And so, so when you go I to conferences,
0: see. conferences, when you go to conferences or go on Zooms that are like community college organizations, is that not what they're doing? Don't they help you with that?
2: I, there is. There's certainly a level of that. But so how I view it as I learn more from, I think we all do. We would all learn more from other non-academic organizations and right. associations. Right. And so we broaden our horizons and we brought and we ideate better when there's your perspective in the room. That's totally not, you know, it's not academic. It's, you know, it's, right. it's policy. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's right. research. It's all that good stuff. And, and then there's academics in the room and then there's industry in the room and then yeah. there's, you know, and that's when the magic happens. not just a bunch
0: of colleges sitting around together. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so
2: yeah. I, I, you know, well, and that's, find,
0: if you can find me a funder, we'll do it. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know in a small way that is what we try to do right yeah. so i mean we just had this so i'm going to tell you about a project we just finished and a project that's happening right now Love um, it. let me hear it so the project we just finished was this paper i've been talking about where we brought together two dozen people from very different walks of life some were these bold face name education reformers you know, who anybody, if you wrote a, if you wrote an op-ed, anyone would say, oh, that guy. And the other half were people who were actually working at community colleges, right, on the front lines of workforce programs. And we spent a year together thinking about, like, meeting every eight weeks for half a day, back in the day when you could have meetings, and um sort of rethink, like, what would our ideal community college look like? And we wrote a big paper that basically was called Reimagining Community Colleges. And it was full of examples, and it was full of sort of how it was it was both a big idea, like you should reimagine yourself, but then it was full of examples and full of how nitty gritty how to. And here's how they do it in this state and here's how they do it in that state. And we had a good reception for that. A lot of people have seemed interested in it. I think that's how we met. I think you came that's across That's
2: right. That's right.
0: It. So so that was the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Let's find these good this is what I mean. Find the good mouse traps, right? And show them mm-hmm. to other people who want to catch mice, basically mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: um That's and right. so what
0: we're doing now so today if you are the president of a community college what landed it or workforce dean what landed in your email inbox like literally today at 10 o'clock or i saw
2: it i saw it yes Thank um, was
0: a is a is a link uh-huh. to be part of a study
2: yes where we're trying to find
0: out we're asking all the community colleges in america what are you doing in the realm of workforce? Mm-hmm. And we don't call it a survey because survey suggests like you can do it in 15 minutes. It's like, you know, what's your favorite brand of orange juice? Like, this is not that. This is a lot of hard questions about your college. Like how mm-hmm. many programs, you know, how many students on the credit side and how many students on the non-credit side and how much of the non-credit department is workforce and what are those programs like and mm-hmm. how much crossover between credit and non-credit is there. And, describe your relationships with employers. This is a thing that will take colleges, you know, a couple of hours maybe to fill out all in all, but we're trying to get a sense of what's going on. And every college that participates, we're going to give back data that allows them to compare themselves to other colleges. Hmm. And we're going to give back states data that allow them to compare themselves to other states. Hmm. So, you know, if, if Pasadena does it, what they'll learn is that, and I, you know, I'm just making up the numbers, obviously, but, you know, one of the things we ask about is how many of your programs embed industry certification?
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: might turn out that you say 15%, and but it might turn out that the national average is 4%. And then you'd be able to say, whoa, we're doing this pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we should keep, we should, uh, you know, we're, we, I hope you won't rest on your laurels then. I hope you'll say, you know, we're going to keep going and doing it more. But you might also find out, you know, in our non credit department division, a third of the programs are workforce oriented and two thirds are something else, ESL or personal interest or something. Mm -hmm. And then it might turn out that the national average is two thirds are Mm -hmm. workforce. So Mm -hmm. then you might say, "Hmm, maybe we should rethink a little bit. You know, we all know that employer engagement, you know, varies a lot from kind of, I met that guy at the Rotary Club Mm -hmm. to a real meaningful partnership. And if the state discovers that most of their colleges report mostly like Rotary Club kind of meetings compared mm-hmm. to the next state over, which reports mostly deep partnerships that are meaningful, mm-hmm. then the state might say, wait, we got to do something different to catch up. Right. So the, so it's a survey, but the goal of the survey isn't just like some neat you know, research thing. It's to kind of help drive change at colleges and at the state level to go in this direction that we've been talking about of, you know, getting your college more on the front line of doing the, doing, filling the need that the country has to, to educate people who need upskilling and reskilling, you know, for the new era.
2: I love that. And we're really excited about this survey. I took a glance at it today because it did come in my inbox today. It certainly Good. did. For us, for our particular genetic makeup here at the college, it's going to take more than one person to address those questions and I'll you be sure to convey it
0: every college. And yeah. We divi- we divided this the questionnaire up into four sections mm-hmm. that we actually make suggestions in the body of the thing. You know, you might want to give this to the academic dean, you might want to give this to the workforce dean. And so we did a beta test, right? We yep. already tried this at 20 colleges. Mm-hmm. And so one guy, we said, he had a pretty hard section too. We, get, we sent them fourths. We sent them those sections. Mm-hmm. And one guy who had a hard section, we said, well, how long did it take you? And he said, well, 10 minutes, 15, if you include the proofreading. But then other people said, well, even my section took me a couple hours. So that's mm-hmm. going to depend on your institution and how much data you have and what you already know and how much you pay attention. But we're hoping that by dividing it up into four sections, they're all you know some level bite size, you know mm-hmm. that they're all each one of them is sort of doable, and that most mm-hmm. colleges will divide them up,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: you know two or three or four people will answer them and and they'll be able to do it. one. So
2: outside well, outside of answering outside of participating in this feedback report. How can a community college help advance your mission at Opportunity America? Well, I mean,
0: again, I see myself as helping you guys more than you mm -hmm. help me. I mean, I, you know, my goal is to help systems and help institutions and I mean, there is always the challenge of like, how do you pay for it? Right. So I I can't do anything that people, somebody doesn't fund me to do, but I'm working with some, well, I don't, it's not arranged totally yet, but I have some, um, some systems. There are a couple of state systems that have talked about, maybe I could be a consultant there. There's some institutions that have talked about, maybe I could be a consultant there. You know, again, I, I I mean, I'm eager to, I I live at the level of 60,000 feet, but I like to, I like to get my hands dirty too. So I am eager to partner with institutions in any way that, you know, make sense, and we can find a way to pay for.
2: That's really great. Well, I think I think you and I have to have side, another side conversation outside <laughs> this episode because I can I'm think sorry, of some ideas.
0: I didn't mean to turn the podcast. Into <laughs> marketing.
2: No, no. no. Cool. But you know, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask two questions for you, and then we'll get you know we'll get wrapped up. Cause I know you've got a lot to do, and and our listeners are probably have already arrived to their destination, wherever it is that they are, and they're listening to us. Current administration. Is it supporting? Is it is it helping you in any way? And then post election, I mean, you know, do you think well, it'll change anything?
0: I don't want to get into my politics, right? I mean, <laughs> broad um,
2: strokes, broad yeah. strokes. I mean, yeah. One thing
0: you could say about this administration is they did kind of get workforce. Mm. I mean, they were, Ivanka was really committed to apprenticeship and. They, I, you know, I'm not. I'm in no way defending this administration. I'm, you know, we don't. Let's let's not go there. I'm not going to talk about who I'm voting for. But they did understand that not everybody had to get a four year degree, and that workforce was really important. And they tried to do some innovative things around that. Did they succeed? Maybe not. But they 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 tried. And um, you know, but I hope that that President Biden also will. Right. I mean, I mean, the thing about on our issues the differences are pretty small, right? So, you know, I mean, take apprenticeship just for the fun of it. You know, there's some people who just think if it's not a registered apprenticeship, you know, it's totally has no value. And there are other people who say, well, there's some very good unregistered apprenticeships. You don't have to be totally for Donald Trump's IRAP thing to think that there are also some good unregistered apprenticeships. And that, should, that shouldn't be that much of a difference, right? I mean, so you could say, well, it's right. a big partisan fight. Trump is for IRAPs and Biden's going to be for registered apprenticeship. I think the most important thing is let's hope Biden is still for apprenticeship. That's <laughs> right. So, it, you know, the flavor will be a little different. Maybe we'll be talking about coffee instead of chocolate, but let's hope we're still, you know, eating ice cream for one of, one of another metaphor.
2: <laughs> good point. Good point. Any final thoughts? You know, our, our listener... As you know, our faculty, there are students, there are community members, there are, uh, there are policymakers. Final thoughts that you would want them to know about, you want yeah, them to know I mean, about I Opportunity America?
0: I think the most important thing is something we've already talked about, which is that the need for what we do, we writ large, you doing it on the ground, me talking about it, your listeners also, that need is, is really going to get greater and greater as we get more toward the future of work. You can see it as a, you can see this moment, COVID, you know, as a tragedy and a horrible time. But you can also see it as we need to get better at doing this work because this work is more important than ever going forward. And what we do matters, you know, Mm -hmm. and and we can't forget that. And we can't sort of lose sight of that. and, And we just have to keep doing it and finding ways to do it better.
2: And I would echo you in saying that it really kind of magnifies, it magnifies the hurdles. Let's be real. These systems have hurdles because we're magnifying the hurdles it's allowing us as a country to get hyper focused to solving the problem and i couldn't thank you enough for all the work that you do and i want to thank you too speaking of future of work you will be one of our panelists at the future of work i'm very You're excited awesome. about that our
0: uh, thanks for this opportunity Sal. So it's great to have a chance to talk to you yeah, listeners
2: yeah and i'm going to it's, it's going to be really exciting So the listener listeners we have a future of work conference happening on November 12th. You can find those details in the show notes, but Tamara and others will be on the panel really discussing the intricacies around what we're faced with now and in the future around work as it relates to policy, as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, as it relates to reinventing and redesigning CT programming. So it's going to be a rich dialogue. That's why I urge you to join us. Tamara, thank you so much. Where could folks find you?
0: opportunityamericaonline.org
2: very good all right and those will be in the show notes thank you so much no, we'll thank catch you, you for the
0: opportunity thank you you bet.
2: you bet thank you thank you for listening to the future of work podcast presented by Pasadena City College if you'd like to get involved and have resources to share or be a guest on the show you can find a link to our webpage to reach out to us in the show notes also don't forget to subscribe and tell us your thoughts about the show. This helps more people like you discover the podcast and you can look forward to new episodes every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.